You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah 9, we're just continuing through in our series this particular uh, message that Jeremiah preached began in chapter 7. And if you remember, uh, Jeremiah was standing in the gate of the temple as people are filing by to come to offer their sacrifices and coming to worship God outwardly. Jeremiah is preaching because he knows that although the outside, they're, they're trying to make it look good, he knows that the inside, their heart was backslidden, their heart was away from God. Uh, it was so much so that God had pronounced judgment upon his people because they would not return. Notice in uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse number 1, uh, normally we try to get through a whole chapter. I don't know if we'll get through very far tonight, but I want to at least cover uh, what the Lord has laid on my heart. Verse 1, Jeremiah is speaking here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, continued from chapter 8. And he, he's, he says there, uh, the harvest is past, chapter 8, verse 20. The summer is ended. We are not saved. There was no deliverance for God's people. There was no rescue. Uh, verse 22, he said, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? He said, listen, he said, uh, why are God's people not saved? And why are they not healed? And why are they not recovered? And why are they not restored? And chapter, one of, uh, chapter 9 of verse 1 Jeremiah says, oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of, what's that next word? Tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Now, Jeremiah knew because God had already laid it out. Jeremiah knew that God's people would face the judgment of God. They would be conquered by the Babylonians. The city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. The walls would be broken down. The temple would be ransacked. It would be burned with fire. And Jeremiah knew that many of those people would be killed. Many of those people would be taken captive. And he knew of the physical destruction that was coming. And he said, I just, I wish I, my head were a fountain. I said, I need to weep and I need to, to cry out day and night. And I'm broken. I have compassion. I don't want to see this happen. By the way, sometimes for us, it seems like the longer we're saved, it's easy to lose the compassion. It's easy to lose the brokenness. It's easy to get into a mentality like Jeremiah could have easily done. It's easy to get into the mentality of saying, you know what? Serves them right. I told them. I warned them. I tried to tell them. They didn't listen. And if they, if they want to do it, then that's on them. By the way, that's an easy mentality to fall into. And may God help us not to have that kind of an attitude. May God help us not to have a spirit of condemning or a, a spirit of, of I'm better than everybody else and well look at what I'm doing compared to so and so. Friend except for the grace of God that could be you and that could be me. And Jeremiah was broken. He was uh, 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 weeping. He was crying because of the condition of the people. 
It's no wonder that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet because of how he wept for God's people. Jeremiah wrote an entire book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit called the Book of Lamentations. It is literally of the recorded eulogy of Jerusalem and how Jerusalem was destroyed and desolate and Jeremiah wept. He took no delight in the fact that God's people were destroyed. Can I tell you, Jeremiah is not the only one in Scripture that wept. The shortest verse in all the Bible is found in John eleven thirty five. 35. It says, Jesus wept. He wept uh, there at the tomb of Lazarus. I believe he wept because of the sorrow that others had who were there, his family and his friends. The Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Matthew 9:36 this is our, our our theme for the year Matthew 9:36 to 38 but the bible says that when Jesus saw the multitudes he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd Jesus saw people and said these people are in trouble these people have no shepherd. These people have no direction. These people have no protection. These people have no savior. And Jesus was broken for them. The Bible says in Psalm 126, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I think you know the verse. It's found in the book of Jude, verse 22. The Bible says, and of some having compassion, making a difference. You know what makes a difference in the lives of people? It's when we have compassion. And by the way, compassion is not just you shed a tear, although I think that's part of it. Compassion is you put your heart into it. If you're teaching a Sunday school class, you're not just going through the motions, you're putting your heart into it because there's lives at stake. There's souls that are in the balance. Uh, if you're running a bus route, uh, you, you have compassion. You put your heart in it. If you're singing in the choir, if you're working in the nursery, uh, if you're serving in a class, if you're serving in a ministry, if you're raising children or, or helping to bring up grandchildren, we, we've got to have our heart in it or we get cold. We get indifferent. We become mechanical. We just go through the motions. And can I tell you, that doesn't make a difference. What makes a difference is when we get our compassion, our brokenness. I'd encourage you tonight, don't lose your broken heart for the backslid. And we, I joke, um, I, I joke about it. I've got uh, Miss uh, Tivy and I got a few others who they will come and they will apologize. Pastor, I'm so sorry I missed Sunday. I was, was sick, I wasn't feeling good, I was under the weather, and I'll jokingly, I'll take out my pen and I'll say, okay, well, I'm glad to know you were sick because I had you on my backslidden list and I was getting, you know, and I'm, I'll tease with them about that. We don't, we don't point out people and say so-and-so's backslidden, so-and-so's backslidden. The only person you ought to point out is maybe the person in the mirror. Sometimes that's the person who's the most backslidden, the one you look at in the mirror. But we ought to be broken. Our heart ought to break for people that are backslidden. Our heart ought to break for souls that are lost, people that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
What happens when Christians lose their burden? What happens when Christian lose their, lose, Christians lose their heart? I'll tell you what happens. It's like happened in Jesus' day. There's a group of people called Pharisees. And you know what was true about the Pharisees? They didn't care about anybody else. They were only concerned with themselves. They were concerned that they were better than somebody else. They were concerned with comparing themselves. They were concerned with pointing out the faults in others. And friend, I want to tell you, I've got enough to keep myself busy just keeping me and my family right with God. I don't have time to point out the faults in everybody else. And if you're honest, neither do you. Can I tell you what you do if you, if you notice something in somebody's life? Pray about it. Pray for them. Love them. Care for them. Be broken for them. Jeremiah stayed faithful in his ministry for over 50 years. And as far as we know, he didn't have any converts. He didn't have anybody that got right with God, but he stayed faithful. I think about my uncles who are here, my cousin who's here. And I've told you the stories about growing up in Rockford, Illinois. Pastor Melvin Swanson was my pastor. He pastored the same church for 58 years. I tell you, there were many Sundays where he'd preach with a tear in his eye. There were many Sundays where he'd preach and he'd preach about hell or he'd preach about the coming of Christ or he'd preach about uh, preach against sin or he'd preach about souls and boy, there'd be a tear in his eye because of his compassion. I remember hearing the story. I think it was his son-in-law, Jack Treber, who told the story. But he said there was a time where I, he said he was in the office. He was doing some janitorial work when he was coming down from college on the weekends and doing some work. And he said, I, I saw a, a chair there on Auburn Street in that uh, old church building. He said, I saw a chair where Pastor Swanson used to have his prayer time. He said in one particular Sunday or one particular day, he said, I noticed he left his prayer list out. And he said, I probably shouldn't have. He said, but I started looking through that list. I wanted to make sure my name was on it. And sure enough, it was. But he said, I noticed something about those prayer lists. He said, I noticed that they were stained. They were st stained from the tears of a man of God who prayed for his people and prayed for his church and prayed for his city. He said, next to that chair, there was a wastebasket and that wastebasket were, were tissues from where he'd have to wipe his tears or blow his nose because of the compassion and the brokenness he had. That man who told that story hit Pastor Swanson's son-in-law, Pastor Treber. He was our pastor for many years. And I remember my dad telling the story. My dad and mom worked with Pastor Treber in the early days in the 1970s out in California. And I remember my dad telling me, he said, Jeremy, he said, Pastor Treber had his office and it was in a trailer. They didn't have enough building space for anything. And there was a trailer where they had a few offices and his office was in that trailer. Well, if you know anything about trailers, those walls are paper thin and, you know, all that. You can hear everything. But my dad said, I used to walk by that trailer just different times. And he said, I could hear. I could hear pastor. I could hear him in that trailer weeping and praying and begging God to do a work in that church in those early days. Can I tell you, it's no accident that God has greatly used people in our lives. It's no accident that we're here. It's because somebody had some compassion. Somebody prayed. Somebody shed some tears. Somebody was consumed with, uh, with reaching you and reaching me with the gospel. Dr. John R. Rice was the founder and editor of the Sword of the Lord magazine. We have those still in our lobbies and our tables here. Dr. John R. Rice 
He used to weep, uh, just weep, weep terribly while he was preaching. He said it got to be kind of embarrassing. He said, I, I, I began to pray, Lord, would you please hold back the tears while I'm preaching? And he said, and God held back the tears while he was preaching. But he said, I noticed something else was held back. He said, I noticed that there weren't nearly as many decisions. I noticed there weren't nearly as many people getting saved. And I noticed there wasn't nearly as much the move of God like there was when I had the tears. And Dr. John R. Rice prayed and said, Lord, please give me back the tears. I want to challenge us tonight as we're looking at the book of Jeremiah. It's easy to focus on all the, the wickedness. It's easy to focus on all the sin of Judah and how backslidden and how dare they. But I want to ask you tonight, Wednesday night, cream of the crop. I want to ask you, as I've asked myself this week, but how is your compassion? How is your prayer list? How is my prayer list? How is our prayer closet? How is our time that we cry out to God on behalf of those who are backslidden? I see in verse number one, I see Jeremiah's compassion. I see in verse number two, Jeremiah, he says, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men that I might leave my people and go from them. You say, well, I thought he loved these people. He did. You say, I thought he prayed for these people. He did. But notice why he said, I got to get away. Notice verse number two. He said, for they be all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous. That word treacherous means deceitful. He said, it's a bunch of wickedness all around. And while Jeremiah was broken for the people, and although he had compassion for the people, he had a disdain for the sin. Can I tell you, as, as God's people, we ought to love the sinner every time. You see, well, you don't understand what they did. No, no, no. You don't understand what we did when we nailed Jesus to an old rugged cross. Can I tell you, we ought to love the sinner, but we ought to hate the sin. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll mesh the two, we'll blend the two, and we'll start to get soft, and we'll start to compromise, and we'll start to justify sin. Friend, I want to remind you, sin is still sin in the eyes of God. God was getting ready to judge his people, but Jeremiah was still broken with compassion for those people. The Bible says in John 3, 16, God so loved who? The world. 1 John 2, 15, the Bible says, love not the world. See, oh, there it is, contradiction in Scripture. Oh, no, no. God so loved the world, that's the people of the world. 1 John 2, it's the world system. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Let's look at a man who lived in a wicked place, and let's see how that wickedness affected this individual. 2 Peter chapter 2. The Bible says in verse number 6, it says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should uh, live, that after should live ungodly. But notice verse number 7. What, what, a, what a perspective. We think about Lot as a, 
a wicked man, and indeed he did live wickedly, and he was influenced by wickedness. But notice what it says in verse number seven. And delivered just Lot. Now that word just does not mean only. That's not saying and Lot was the only one that was delivered. That word just is where we get our word justified, justification. You know what this verse tells us? Lot was a saved man. You know where he got that? He got that when he was with Uncle Abraham. He got that when he was doing what was right. And he got that. He, he had his faith like Abraham and it was counted to him for righteousness. But the Bible says that uh, God delivered just Lot who was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. That word vexed there means to be tormented. It means to be tortured. It says in verse number eight, for that righteous man, we're talking about Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, he vexed, he tortured, he tormented his soul, the Bible says, from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Can I tell you what happens for Christians, for saved people when they live in the midst of wickedness and they allow that wickedness to influence them and they allow that wickedness to penetrate into their heart and control them? The Bible says it is a vexation. It is a torture. It is a torment. How come? Because we're saved. Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and, and you, can't, you can't live for the world and enjoy it when you are saved and you've got the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. The Bible tells us that Jeremiah, he had a disdain for the sin. He said, I, I wish I could just get away. I wish I could uh, find an escape from all of this. He says, the lodging, go back to Jeremiah chapter nine. He says, I'm looking for even a lodging place of wayfaring men. That's an interesting term, literally. Along the, the paths and along the roads, they, there would be perhaps just a, a, a shack, perhaps just an overhang, just somewhere where someone could rest and get out of the sun or get out of the, the elements. Those places were not nice. They were not ideal. They were not comfortable. They were never furnished. Jeremiah said, I just would love to get away from all the wickedness. I don't know how it is for you. I know for me, I have the privilege to work in a Christian environment. Now I'm out in hospitals and nursing homes and uh, here, there, and everywhere. But when I'm here, I'm blessed to be able to work with Christian people. But maybe you say, I don't have that luxury. And you work uh, with people that, that curse and take God's name in vain. And you live in, in the midst of all that. Can I tell you, you need an escape from that. And that's why you've got to spend time with God every day. That's why you've got to get in the Bible and you've got to get in prayer. And that's why I hope Wednesday nights, I hope it's refreshing for you to get to the house of God. I hope you look forward to Sunday. I hope nobody has to twist your arm and say, all right, let's go to church. I hope you love it because it's a haven. It's an escape. It's an oasis from the wickedness. And you get to be with God's people and we get to open the Bible and sing the praises of God. May God help us to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Notice with me verse number three. It says they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. 
It's interesting here, the comparison. Jeremiah says these people are so wicked. He said they use their tongue like a soldier would use his bow and arrow for battle. You know what's true about your tongue and about a bow and arrow? They're both deadly. They're both powerful. And these people were so wicked that they were using their tongue not for good, not for God, not for things that would edify, not for things that would encourage. They were using their tongues to hurt and they were using their tongues for lies. Wow. Verse number three, the Bible says, they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. They proceed from evil to evil. They know not me, saith the Lord. That word valiant, it means to be strong, mighty. Literally, it's a prevailing power. David in the Bible was described as a mighty, valiant man. His mighty men were often called valiant. They were not only, they were not average. They were not just pretty good. They were powerful and they were able to conquer and Jeremiah says, the people are not valiant for the truth. You know, as God's people, we ought to be very, very valiant, very strong and very powerful for the truth because we've got the truth and because we know the truth and because we have the truth of the word of God. And I'll tell you, I don't, I don't know how people that are unsaved, I don't know how they do it because truth to most people that are unsaved, truth is relative. It changes. Some, some days this is true, some days this is not true. It depends on how you feel, it depends on what's popular, it depends on what everybody's doing. I want to tell you, this book doesn't change. This book does not vary. This book cannot be altered. We have the truth, and may God help us to be valiant for the truth and to stand strong on the truth of the Word of God. Notice verse number four. It says, Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. Uh, these people were so deceitful. Even neighbors were deceiving neighbors, and brothers were deceiving brothers. I want to remind you, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, but those who will talk to you about someone else, we'll talk to someone else about you. Say, well, this is my buddy. This is my buddy here, and, 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 and he, we, all, we only talk about all the other people, but you know, we're good. First time he gets an opportunity, there's a knife going in your back too. And I tell you, you don't want to be around people that are deceivers and people that are slanderers and people that are critical. You know who you want to be around? People that will sharpen you people that will encourage you and people that will help you to be uh, grounded in the truth of the Word of God. Notice verse 5. They will deceive everyone his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies and weary themselves to commit iniquity. That, that term, that phrase, weary themselves, it means they're so bent on being deceitful, they will go out of their way to tell a lie they will go out of their way to commit iniquity. Now, some people will just do it when it's convenient. Some people will just do it if it's kind of easier. But these folks were so far away from God that they would look for opportunities. How can we deceive? How can we uh, commit iniquity? 
may I remind you, verse number five, it says they will not speak the truth. I want to remind you in the book of Proverbs, the Bible says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God hates lying. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination. A proud look, number one, and number two, a lying tongue. God's people had gotten away from the truth. Notice verse number six. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, saith the Lord. Now, when you are deceitful, if, if you are deceitful, if I am deceitful, that's a problem in many ways. But one way is that as Christians, we are commanded to walk with God. We are commanded to get to know God. We are commanded to study the Scripture so we can know more about Jesus and know more about our Creator. But here's the problem. When there is deceit in your life or there is deceit in my life, lies and truth, they don't go together. They don't mix. That's a problem. There's going to be an issue there. And the Bible tells us, Jesus said in John 14, 6, speaking of himself, Jesus said, help me out, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Revelation 19, Jesus is coming back. And uh, uh, the Bible says that he is called faithful and true. That's one of the names of Jesus. He's true and he's faithful. And the reason that Sometimes people don't get close to God like what they should is because there's so much deceit in their lives that the two can't mix. The two cannot coexist. They refuse to know me because of deceit, verse number six says. Notice verse seven, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, behold, I will melt them and try them. For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Now, that terminology there, God says, I'll melt them, I'll try them. It's like a refiner would try or would, would purge or purify metal. Uh, it's like how gold goes through a furnace and it is purified. God says, I'm going to put their words, I'm going to put their actions through the fire and we will see whether or not there's truth or not. Now, you don't have to turn there for sake of time. I won't have you do it. But 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible tells us that that is similar to what takes place at the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 that our works, we're talking about saved people. We're not saved by works. But the Bible says not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves. we're not saved by works. By the way, a person doesn't go to hell because they did more bad than they did good. A person goes to hell because they reject Jesus Christ and they do not accept the gift of God, which is eternal life. But the Bible tells us in Revelation 20 that we will be judged according to our works, not for salvation, but for reward or for degree of punishment. But whether or not you go to heaven or not, that's not up to works. That's up to what you do with Jesus. But 1 Corinthians 3, at the judgment seat, the Bible tells us that our works will be put through a fire and they'll be tried to see what sort or what quality our works are. 
The Bible says some of the works will be gold, silver, precious stone. But some of the works will be wood, hay, and stubble. And the Bible says there will be some at the judgment seat of Christ that their works will be burned up. And the Bible says they shall suffer loss. Now, some have misinterpreted that to say, there you go. If you do enough bad works and they're all burned up, then you're going to hell. You'll suffer loss. That's not what it's talking about. It's the judgment seat. If you're at the judgment seat, you're saved. But what it's talking about is you will suffer a loss of reward. There'll be a loss of reward if our works are not gold, silver, precious stone. And you say, well, how do we get those works of gold, silver, precious stone? By doing what this book says by doing it with our heart, by not trying to fake it. Uh, by the way, I think that we get to the judgment seat, I think we're going to be surprised because I believe our motives will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. I think there's some people that we'll see and we'll think, boy, that's the best Christian whole church or that's the best, whatever. And, and maybe so and maybe not, but I know this. We're not going to fool this judge when we stand before him. And there may be some surprises at the judgment seat of Christ. There may be some you, th you think, boy, I, didn't, I had no idea. But somebody that was faithful and somebody that prayed and somebody that served and someone that was behind the scenes and someone that gave and someone that invested their life in serving God and they did it with the right motives. Can I tell you, God judges uh, and uh, God's uh, a fire is a fire that always reveals the truth. Notice verse number eight. We'll stop here, verse 8, their tongue. Here it is again. Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaketh deceit. One speaketh peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth. But in his heart, the Bible says, he layeth his weight. Our tongue, again, is described like that of an arrow. I, I, I would not do this. Now, first of all, I'm not good enough to do this, but if I brought up on the platform, if I brought a bow and arrow, and uh, I, I had some, some, some folks, maybe I asked Brother Mill Odom back there, and maybe I uh, asked uh, Brother Brad back here, and maybe over here I asked Brother Gene, and back here maybe I get, uh, I asked Michael, because you're kind of up close, and I said, I want you to hold up a hymn book. Nobody move. Sit right where you're at. Just hold up a hymn book. And I'm going to see, I'm going to see if I can hit that hymn book. Now, number one, Michael ought to be real worried. And Heather ought to be worried. But not just that, Sarah Collins ought to be worried too. And Caleb, as a matter of fact, everybody in this whole half of the auditorium ought to be worried because there's no telling where that thing's going. And if I were to pull back that arrow and I say, okay, now hold it still. I'm going to see if I can shoot that. That's very dangerous. I would, I would not flippantly pull out a bow and arrow and just start shooting. But you know what we do sometimes with this thing right here? We start shooting very flippantly. We start shooting criticism. start shooting gossip. We start shooting lies. We start shooting negativity. We start shooting with our lips. And can I tell you, according to Scripture, it's just as deadly as an arrow. I want to tell you this, guard your words. 
And may God help us all, and may God help us to set a watch on our mouth that we might guard our words. I'll close with this. We've gone through these first three. I've already talked about them. So just in, in summary, number one from Jeremiah 9, I want to remind you, have compassion. How's your compassion? Uh, have a burden, have a broken heart for people. Number two, choose your words very carefully. We talked about the deceit and the lies and the slanders. Choose your words very carefully. They're powerful. And then number three, tell the truth. I would, I would remind us all at the workplace, in our homes, in our marriages, in our ministry, I would remind us all, tell the truth. God hates lying. God despises lying. And may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.